Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Mile End service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good to see you all. My name is Catherine. I've come all the way from Sutton, Greater London. Greater London. Thank you for that round of applause. You appreciate the hustle. Okay, yeah. Um, so sending you greetings from Sutton, um, from my husband who's in Sutton and my two kids, and they sometimes have come with me to my land, but it's a pleasure to be with you this evening, and I really am expecting for what God is going to do in amongst this rain that is beating down on us. So let's pray, and um, I will get into the word for this evening. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you be with us today. I pray that your presence fills this room. And that you speak individually to our hearts. That you will transform our lives. And I pray that the words that are spoken, Lord, will fall on good soil. I pray that they will reap a harvest. And that we will go changed and transformed. That we will go knowing that we are loved by you. And that we can surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you taking notes, the title of my message today is Dying to Live. Dying to Live an Undivided Life. And I'd like to start an intro with an old Cherokee proverb. And it is titled, The Wolf You Feed. One evening, a young boy went to his grandfather for advice about a conflict he had with a friend. The elder listened and quietly replied, I often feel as if there are two wolves fighting inside of me. One is mean and greedy, angry and fearful. The other is peaceful and generous, acting in loving ways towards others. All the time, these two wolves struggle for dominance within me. My boy, you have those same two wolves inside of you. The boy thought about it for a moment and said, Grandfather, Which one of the wolves inside me will win? The elder put his arm around the boy and simply replied, the one you feed. And like the Cherokee boy, we also have a battle going on within us. Our human nature harbors both good and evil, and the one we feed or the one we tame, which one will win? In this series of an undivided life, we focus on the lordship of Christ over our lives, over our whole lives. And the Bible calls us to devote every aspect of ourselves to him, our mind, our body, and our soul, our desires, our thoughts, our intents, our actions. As disciples of Jesus, we cannot just simply accept him as our savior, but not surrender everything to him as Lord. We can't just have relationship without responsibility. And today we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. So if you've got your Bibles or you can look to the screen. And we're going to read Romans 12, 1 to 2. And it reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to present, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
I'm also going to ask for the Message Bible version to be put up because I think this just adds an extra uh, zhuzh and juiciness to this uh, scripture. And it reads, mine is um, in the Message Bible title, Place Your Life Before God. And it reads, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I told you it's juicy, it's good, it's good. And even in your, what you're eating, you're sleeping, sleeping can be a ministry unto the Lord. Sometimes it's laziness. Most of the time it's lazy. No, it's, it can be a ministry. So when someone's saying to you, you're too sleepy, you're sleeping a lot, I'm ministering unto the Most High God. That is my ministry. Hallelujah. Can somebody say amen? Jesus. Simply put, Paul is calling our attention as followers of Jesus Christ to embark on a journey, a journey of self-sacrifice so that Christ may live in and through us. And I was speaking to Adnan um, in the office. This is our office as well. So just, it becomes an office as well. And um, the other day, and he was saying, what are you going to preach on? And I said, okay, look, I really believe that God is saying to me, there has been an onslaught and an attack on the body and the mind. As I was preparing this, my future, future, my previous life, I was a secondary school teacher. And I, so I had a lot of interaction with young people. I was ahead of year for five years. And the level of uh, body dysmorphia, self-harm, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. It was startling. And the statistics in our society are startling. Our culture, our world is seeing a rise in mental health issues and crises. According to a young people, UK young people's charity, they found that of 16 to 25 year olds, a third had intentionally harmed their bodies at some point in their lives. One in four people in the, UK, in the UK will experience a mental health problem each year. And in England, one in six people are experiencing common health problems such as anxiety and depression every week. There is a war that is being waged on our minds and our bodies. And in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, Paul addresses both the mind and the body as vessels of worship. And so I'm going to break it down like that. Although we know that the body and the mind are still united in one, I will look at the body first and then the mind. And so in the physiological world, thank you, Jess, it's apoptosis. I didn't pronounce it well this morning, but that's why you get a do-over second round. So apoptosis. Anyone know apoptosis? Love that. Great. Okay, good. Now I'm just going to... A doctor. Okay. Doctor, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but um, just roll with me. So when I was looking at the physical world and physiology, there are 50 to 100 trillion cells in the human body, and they are in the process of dying daily. 
We produce about 10 billion cells per day, and in any given second, the human body loses over 3 million cells. And the cells go through a process of apoptosis, in which they are dying, some cells die so that others may live. It is the building blocks of life. And this process of staying alive, this ability for us to stay alive, is a constant balance between dying and living. And to me, this is fascinating because everything in the world we know we can find in Scripture. And in Romans 12, Paul is almost talking about this process of dying and living. And he starts the chapter with the word therefore. So in order for us to know what the therefore is therefore, we need to look and take context. And so in the previous chapters in, in Romans, Paul is speaking to the Christian church, these early believers in Rome. And he's intending to pro provide some direction, some encouragement, some guidance to these believers. And in his letters, he's sharing about faith and justification of faith and mercy in the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But he's speaking also against these newer kind of Christians who know about the rebellion that we may have in our hearts, the old ways and the different ways we've been living. And he's now calling them to a new standard of living. He's telling them that, yes, you've been saved by grace and not of works, but it is now time for you to do something about that. That salvation is not the end point, but it's actually the starting point. It's the starting point of our journey and our walk with Jesus. We are being continually refined and made righteous by the Holy Spirit in our lives when we follow Jesus. Our redemption is only made possible by the grace of God. And because of that, we should be spurred to live a life in pursuit of Jesus. In some translations, it says, um, if we go back to the text, I'm going to make you guys in the tech team work tonight. <laughs> um, if we go back, it says that, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, in some versions, it says this is your rational or logical worship, which means that as a rational and a logical response to the grace of God that has been imparted on us, to God's love for us, we must worship at him. As an outpouring of that, we must worship him. That is our rational and logical response. So in Romans 12, Paul calls the Christians in Rome, and consequently us today, to be governed by a life of sacrificial living. And this element of sacrifice thought made me think about um, a young man called Chris Marriott. And Christian Marriott, if you, I don't know if anyone knows this story, but in December 2023, was out for a post-Christmas walk with his wife and his two children aged eight and six when he stopped to see a woman who, who he thought was unconscious, lying, across, lying unconscious across the road. And he left his family, crossed the road to go and aid this woman and assist her and unfortunately was knocked down by a vehicle. The lady is in a critical condition now in hospital and he died at the scene. And DCI Andrew Knowles said that this is an utterly heartbreaking case in which a good Samaritan who stepped in to help a stranger in a time of need had lost his life. And the story moved me when I was thinking and writing this, um, this talk today because I thought this topic of sacrifice. That so much often we think, well, what can I do to serve you, Lord? What, what is it that I could do as a living sacrifice? Well, to me, Christian embodied, he used his body to embody the heart of Christ. 
He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his efforts. Several of us, I'll just talk about myself because you guys are very righteous, but might have just thought this woman lying unconscious. I don't want none of that drama. I'm going to keep on moving with my family and keep walking for my post-Christmas walk. But he decided, he decided to embody Christ. Christian Marriott was a Christian. He volunteered in his local food bank. He was part of his church and he actually worked for a charity. He was a believer. He was a follower of Jesus. He sacrificed his own convenience for that, for the service of another. And nothing of real value comes without sacrifice. The things that do come without real sacrifice, we don't appreciate it as much. And actually, we can be indifferent to it. And a biblical faith is one that recognizes the importance of sacrifice. So Paul talks about sacrifice, and he's talking to an audience who would have understood what sacrifice was. For the Jewish people, they often killed um, animals as a sacrifice. There were various different types of sacrifices. We don't need to go into all of that. But one of the sacrifices was the animal sacrifice. And the entire animal would have been sacrificed, the whole of it. And in other words, they would have um, killed the animal, poured out the blood, and burnt the body. And this animal would have been specially reared to be unmarked, unblemished, and unharmed, so that it would have been acceptable to the priest. But now Paul is saying to us that we don't come as dead or you know, killed sacrifices, but we come as living sacrifices. And we offer the entirety of our lives, the whole being, the whole of us to God as a living sacrifice. But what's beautiful in this is unlike the animal sacrifice, we don't come unblemished. We don't come unharmed. We don't come with our perf perfect selves. We come with our scars. We come with our impurities. We come with our blemishes. We come with our difficulties. We come with our challenges. We come with our messy minds. We come with our issues and we lay them as a living sacrifice. And what makes our sacrifice holy is not the fact that we've got ourselves and our lives together, but that we have made a decision to surrender ourselves to the only one who can make us holy. He is the one that burns the impurities. He is the one that takes that sweet-smelling aroma of the challenges and the difficulties and makes it new. And when I was thinking of this, like, okay, the burning is a sweet-smelling aroma. Well, something else that um, may not have a good aroma, but is actually very much teeming with life is manure. Manure is disgusting. Let's just call it spade a spade. Butters. It doesn't smell nice. But yet, it promotes growth. It is teeming with life. And sometimes, actually, we come... And we are in the manure of our lives, the difficulties, the challenges, the hardships. And that is actually the place in which we are teeming with life. And when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, that sweet-smelling aroma, the burning, it's not always an easy process. It's not always a nice thing to surrender and to sacrifice. But there is a sweet-smelling aroma, the burning that God sees as pleasing as we surrender and say, I can't do this on my own. I need your intervention. I need your refining. I need your purification, Lord. He takes our old selves, our old ways, 
our faulty ways of thinking, and he renews. When we completely surrender to his lordship and we devote ourselves to him, God is asking for the whole of us, our entirety, nothing missing. Our lives are an embodied spirituality. That means what we do with our bodies, our eating, our drinking, our laughing, our talking, it is all to point towards Jesus. And what it also means is not only what we do with our bodies, but what we choose to not do, our fasting, the drink we decide to pass up, or the sexual urges we resist, that is all to point towards Jesus. If our desire is to be in relationship with him, then this should redefine our bodily desires. It should redefine our cravings as we don't use it for a tool of pleasure, but a tool of worship. Our bodily desires can defer, uh, sorry, uh, the bodily desires we experience and defer all point to a sacrifice and worship of the King of Kings. And I love how N.T. Wright so powerfully reflects this idea of a new creation, that we are a new creation, that we are new when we sacrifice ourselves to God. And he says, the point of resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in this present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, raising children, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. The life we long for is hidden in the life we have. And the life we have matters more than we can imagine because God has a great future in store for it. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is to daily make decisions that our desires, my desires must die so that I can be free to do with God, to do with my body what God desires. In the same way, once you, once you once did with your bodies to fulfill its lusts and passions and, its, and to fulfill the flesh is now done in light of the newness that God desires for you. It, he controls our eyes, our mouths, our lips, our hands. We use them as vessels to worship him. I gave the example this morning, but he's interested in the minute details of your life, even you're putting back your shopping trolley. Now, this is what he's been working me, on me. I like to park my car, put my shopping in my trolley, and just maybe leave it to the side because I can't be bothered to go back. So, you know, they put it somewhere far, and it's too, many, too much legwork. And he's saying to me, your whole life, everything you do, you do it with integrity. You do it in honor to me. He's going to pull you up on the little things and the big things. The everything you, well, what I use my arms, my legs, is going to push back the trolley, isn't it? My whole body is going to take back the trolley. He's interested. He is committed. And he's asking us to serve him in a thousand different ways. Whether it's putting your arm around a friend and encouraging them and saying to them, it's going to be okay, God is with you. Whether it's giving and being a blessing. I know we didn't do our giving liturgy, but giving and being a blessing. <laughs> do you see how I slipped that in? That was neat. It was neat. It was neat. <laughs> to be a blessing. What is he calling us to give? 
Maybe he's taking us, telling us to take our eyes away from Netflix or to take our eyes away from... Netflix is cool, though. It's not like I'm saying to you, you can't watch Netflix, but to take our eyes away from certain things. What is he asking us to think about and meditate upon? What is he asking us to do with our bodies? How do we embody his spirituality? I keep my body and bring it under subjection. It is a good servant, but it is a bad master. And so I'm now going to address the mind, and I'm going to skip forward. I'm going to go to Dr. Andrew Newberg first. American new neuroscientist and author of How God Changes Your Brain, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Newberg, he is not a Christian, but even in his book, he, he has researched the, um, the, the power of believing in God and how it can actually change our brain. And he states, the moment we encounter God or the idea of God, our brains begin to change. He goes on to say, only humans can begin only human beings can think themselves into happiness or despair without any influence from the outside world. Thus, the more we meditate on God in prayer, worship, the more we gain control over our body, our mind, and our fate. And this book, How God Changes Your Brain, is phenomenal because he goes into the actual details of what happens even when we praise, when we worship, when we pray. The, the structural changes, your emotional centers, your amygdala, which is responsible for your feelings and your emotions, begins to change and enlarge in capacity just on the meditation of God. So when we look at the word of God and it says that we should renew our minds, that we should meditate on it, this is what it's talking about, that it can begin to structurally change our brains. James Montgomery he also says, have you ever considered that what you do with your mind will determine a great deal with what, with, of what you will become as a Christian? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's what the Message Bible says. Instead, fix your attention on God. It is so easy to become absorbed and to become molded into the fashion and to the trends of culture. I just thought about this. Crocs. My husband is wearing Crocs, guys. He has become molded. <laughs> because we all know there is no need for you to wear Crocs unless you are in surgical or, or some sort of, I don't know. Oh, am I, have I hit a nerve? Some people are like, I rebuke you, devil. Get thee behind me and my Crocs. But my husband is wearing Crocs. What has life become? <laughs> we become so molded and so adjusted to our culture without even realizing it. And then one day you're wearing Uggs and Crocs and all sorts. <laughs> What's going on? It's the end times. It's the, it's the end times. Jesus is coming back soon. And I said earlier this morning as well, I know you must have thought I was joking, but I've never baked in my life. I've made cheesecakes, I've made crumbles. I don't bake, but I've seen people bake. And you see when they mold it into like, you know, cookies, and then the cookie cutter being pressed into, being shaped, being molded into. That's what we're talking about here. That we become so shaped and molded that we've forgotten the shape and mold that Christ has called us to and instead have fit into a culture that isn't befitting of what he's called us to. 
The world and society have patterns or ways that lead to a broken life. These patterns are easy to fall into and often are performed mindlessly without any consideration of our actions or our consequences. However, Christ is calling us to say we are not stuck there, but we are to metamorphosis. We are to change. And that's the next two words, meta and morphu, that the metamorphosis, the Greek words. And meta means to, be, means to change after being with, and morphu means changing form in keeping with an inner reality. We are changed because we have a relationship with Jesus after we have spent time in worship, in prayer. There is a meta. There is a change. And then we have the morphu means keeping in form, changing form in keeping with an inner reality. In the inner reality of knowing who God is. In the inner reality of being with someone, knowing his nature and character. And as I talked about sacrifices, well, we don't have the altars that they had in the Old Testament times. But what we do have is the altar of worship, the altar of prayer. I am always like, I have to be on time for worship because that is where I enter into and I begin that metamorphosis. We renew our minds with an inner reality and an outward change. The inner, the inner change creates this outer change. Paul is calling us to release our possessions, our pleasures, our thing, our rise for status, or wanting to be like everybody else. And he's asking us to be transformed from the inside out, internal and external surrender. He writes that we must change the way we think to have our minds renewed so that we can understand God's will and for our lives. If we do not have this metamorphosis of the inward, then we don't know what God wants for us, that we may be able to know what his will is for our lives. God is calling us to fix our minds on him. And I really struggle. And even as I was writing this, I was like, but Lord, my mind can be so messy. I have intrusive thoughts. I have negative thoughts. I have anxieties. And as I stand here, often people say, oh, you seem really confident. But there is a battle that goes on in the inside of me. There is a battle that says, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to be here. Imposter syndrome. I don't, I'm not qualified for this. I don't know how I can speak because I feel so nervous and I don't know what, why you're calling me to this, Lord. You've got a real sense of humor because there's people who love the stage and I don't. Why are you calling me to this, Lord? But I surrender. This whole week, I was like writing, I was like, I can't. At one point, I was going to say, Andy, I quit. I'm done with this. And yet, it's daily surrender. If it's for me, because, you know, my mind is a bit different. It's sometimes hour by hour surrender. I quit, I don't quit, I don't quit, I quit, I quit. Lord. But that surrender is that, it's, it's I come before you again, Lord. Even if this is not what I want to do in and of myself, I know this is where you've placed me. I know this is where you're calling me to. I know this is what you have for me. So therefore, I will relinquish my own desires, my own pride, my own not wanting to do things just so that I can do your will. That doesn't mean I'm super spiritual. It doesn't mean that me and Jesus are like buddies. And I'm like, Lord, I tell him, I don't want to do this. I find it, I'm finding this really hard. 
but his grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. So I present it again. I come back to that altar. I come back to that place of prayer and worship. And I say, Lord, I can't do this in and of my strength. I need you to move on my behalf. I surrender my will. I surrender my way. And I pray that you help me to do what you've called me to do. It is a daily renewal. So as I said with my own, it's hour by hour. It's not easy. But our patterns of thinking can be identified and changed. And I really want that to be said this morning or this evening. should have said it in the morning too. I really want this to be said that I think so much we can think that this is really hard. And I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. But my encouragement today by the Holy Spirit is that our patterns of thinking, our habits, our structures, our old ways can be changed. God is always in the business of making things new. He is always in the business of creating. So if there's anybody here who has given up hope, who says, God, I can't do this and I don't see you moving. I can't, you know, that song, Waymaker, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. There is always hope. There is always hope. He is in the business of changing and renewing. And so how do we create these new patterns? How do we put ourselves under his lordship? And I've got some suggestions here. First and foremost, we spend time at the altar of prayer and worship. And a friend of mine said to me the other day, and I actually remember this from my mother-in-law. She had the same thing. When my father-in-law was passing away, she didn't have the words to speak. And she would often just sit with God in silence. She would come to her altar and she would sit in silence. And often we think, well, if I'm not talking, I'm not praying. But he knows the desires of our heart. As we come, even just in that sacrifice, that I'm going to step back. And I'm going to commit time to you. And I may not have the words to say, Lord, but you know my heart. I present it to you. Do your work. Read his word. If a non-Christian is going to write a book about how God changes your brain, how much more than the word of God? He is in the business. Oh, God, you're making me cry. He's in the business of changing us when we meditate when we fix our eyes on him, when we contemplate his word, he does an amazing work in our brains, in our body, in our minds, and he begins to shift. I am not saying it's overnight. I'm not saying that it happens instantaneously, but it does happen, and his word does work. We serve others. Even when we feel like we don't want to do it, even when you've had too much to eat at lunch and you want to go home and nap, that's not me though, that's someone else. <laughs> even when you want to go home and nap, you still come and you still preach and you still come and talk. You still serve, you still do what he has called you to do. Even in the midst of anxiety, even in the midst of depression, even in the midst of feeling like you can't do it, you serve. And you listen to the voice of God. You listen to what he's telling you. You listen to his leading. You listen to his unctioning. Um, the other day, I really felt Holy Spirit told me to bring a spoon to work. 
Random, right? I was like, that's not God, that's my belly. That's somebody else. <laughs> I didn't bring the spoon to work. Lo and behold, a fellow colleague was like, has anyone got a spoon? I left my spoon at home for cereal. Thankfully, we were in here and there was a spoon. But I thought, sometimes he tells you the most random things. Just listen. If I brought the spoon, what would, have, what would it have harmed me? And it trains us to listen and to be responsive and receptive to his word. We don't know what he's calling you to do. It will always be good. It won't be something harmful but it will be good. And then we listen and we train ourselves to hear his voice and what he's calling us to do. We focus on God rather than we focus on ourselves. We submit ourselves to his leadership over our lives. And in closing, Paul is appealing to the Roman Christians and to each of us today to give up something in exchange for someone who is worth infinitely more. Paul is urging us as followers of Jesus to give up our entire lives as a form of living, breathing sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed is beyond something that we just simply want to know, but it is something that we must be compelled to do. If we are ever going to accomplish what God wants for us to accomplish, then transformation is essential. The commitment to be a living sacrifice is a commitment to God changing our thinking, changing our values, changing our motives and our methods. And it's not a minor repair, but it's a complete rebuilding. The application of Romans 12 is simple, yet it is extremely challenging. We are to offer everything that we have. Jesus is the best and out of relationship with him comes everything else. If I could ask the band to just come. And if I could ask you to stand to your feet. I want to offer us this upper moment just as we worship and we close out to, to present ourselves again as a living sacrifice. For some of us, this may be the first time we've ever done this. Well, it is the best thing you could ever do. For other of, uh, of us, we might have done this before, but we have become a bit stale or a bit lethargic and tired in our relationship with God, and it needs a refreshing. Well, I would ask you to come back to the place of worship, would come back to his altar, and would you lay yourselves there? Words aren't even necessary, but the simple act of saying, I come, Lord. Move on my behalf. We want to center our lives and our worship. And as I pray, I pray that you can just open up your hearts to Jesus. Do business with God. Offer yourselves. Present your entire lives, your mind, your body, your soul as living sacrifices. Father, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit, and connect us with Jesus. Would you draw close to us now? Would you redirect our worship towards you, King of kings and Lord of lords? We center ourselves on you. We pray your presence to be with us. Would you help us see clearly? 
would you renew and transform us? In Jesus' name.